New York Times reporter, a country singer, and a Virginia student have in common? They are all facing severe consequences for using the N-word. And their recent headlines have academics, culture critics, and me asking whether it's time to re-examine the use of the N-word in classrooms, music, and in pop culture. Here to help me answer these questions and more is my panel of experts. Joining me is a popular West Coast rapper, a culture critic whose essay on the topic recently went viral, a hip hop professor, and I go one-on-one -on -one with a historian who happens to be the daughter of the late iconic comedian, Richard Pryor. All coming up next. Live from Los Angeles, this is The Special Report. It's been described as the filthiest, dirtiest, and nastiest word in the English language. In fact, for some, it's more than a word. It's an attack. Yet for others, it has become a popular term of endearment by the descendants of the very people who once had to endure it as the ultimate insult. The N-word has been used as a racial slur against African-Americans since 1786. A version of the word became popular in the late 1970s as it was commonly used by black comedians and by the 1990s, hip hop artists like Tupac began arguing that the N word is a term of endearment. Rapper and poet Mo Steph says when we call each other the N word, we take a word that was historically used by whites to degrade and oppress us a word that has so many negative connotations and turn it into something beautiful, something we can call our own. Now, despite most deaf's eloquent embrace of the word, for many, the word had and is still considered the nuclear bomb of racial epithets, the use of which can have dire consequences for one's career and life. One only need look at country singer Morgan Whalen who was dropped from the airwaves, and New York Times reporter Donald McNeil, who was ousted recently, all because they got caught using the N-word. Today, we're asking, is it possible to reconcile the exclusive and inclusive duality of the N-word? Here for my lead-off panel is Professor Elizabeth Storter Pryor. She is a Smith College historian of race in America, She's also the daughter of Richard Pryor, the famed comedian who rose to stardom in the 1970s and who was one of the first performers to pepper the N-word throughout his routines. Good morning and welcome, Professor Pryor. Uh, I think you're on mute, Professor Pryor. Can you unmute your mic? Fantastic. Thank Hi. you so much for joining <laughs> me this morning. You know, your dad, uh, broke down so many barriers for black comics, uh, stand-up comics, and, and then even beyond just comedy, you know, he became a mainstay in the 1970s and 80s in movies, again, breaking down barriers. But the hallmark at one point of his comedy was the use of the N-word. And as I was doing my research on your dad, I, I learned that originally he patterned his comedy after Bill Cosby. Uh, but that style changed, and then he began to embrace the N-word. From your memory and, and from your knowledge of your dad's career, what do you think changed for him in terms of, of why he went from, you know, kind of the, the uh, clean comedy of a Bill Cosby to using the N-word? You know, for him, I think it was more, it, it, it wasn't from being clean to using the N-word, but really from being... Um, from emulating to creating his own voice, you know, to being honest about who he was. He was a storyteller about where he came from, um, not afraid to talk about his personal experiences. And as many, you know, black people know that black people use the N-word in their homes, in among each other in a particular way that my dad was willing to make public. Yeah, and he actually won a, a Grammy for his album, That N, we're gonna use the, the N, uh, you know, as a replacement for the word, that in is crazy. And I was reading this uh, 1974 interview that he did with Rolling Stone magazine, uh, where he said he was really sick of conforming to what he said white people wanted. And he wanted to go out and tell white people what he thought of them. 
is this again consistent with what you understood your dad to be doing, which was trying to, like you said, find his voice and, and really express some of the frustration that many African Americans uh, experienced growing up in the 50s, the 60s? I mean, absolutely. I just, I think the work is groundbreaking. The idea that black people, I mean, one of the favorite lines he says is, uh, well, I'm not gonna have to tell the whole joke and I'm not gonna try to do that. But you know, he, <laughs> what he does is he, he, he reconceptualizes who black people are, clever, resourceful, resilient. Like he completely changes the story and, and still has black people in these settings. Like he talks about junkies. He talks about, you know, he was raised in a brothel. He talks about these realities and yet still the people are super smart. And, um, and I think that was really different. That was, his, that was his like middle finger to the establishment. Yeah, I, again, in reading, you know, it's these interviews he did back in the seventies, I, I was really, uh, one thing that really resonated with me that they attribute to your dad, they said that he wanted to take the sting out of the word, the N word, uh, by saying it over and over and over again, like like the use of hallelujah in a church. Uh, and, and can you as a historian help us understand the significance of, of why repetition of a word and the familiarity with it can actually, you know, uh, take the sting out of it? Uh, you know, I don't agree with my dad about that. So I, I, I don't think that's actually too, true. I think black people have been doing that a lot longer than my father did. I've written an article about how in the 1770s and 1780s, black people were the first to claim this word as their own and use it in the way that we come to understand black people using it to describe other black people in all these particular ways, the in-group, the inclusive way that you talk about. Um, but I mean, I think we've had a lot of evidence in our culture that repeti repetition of the word is not taking out its sting. Now, can, can certain people use it in different, is, is it contextual? Sure, but um, I don't think that um, the sting of the word can really be eradicated until some of the um, structures that make the word relevant and powerful, like inequity and you know injustice, are eliminated. So the word goes hand in hand. The, the word itself is really a story about race and racial ideology in the United States. It's not just, you said before, it's not just a word, right? And, and can you give us just a brief history about, you know, where did the word come from? When was it first used by all historical accounts? And what was the context in which it was used? Well, my evidence has it as early as the first, you know, 20 enslaved black people in the United States or British North America, which was 1619. We all know 1619 is a significant date. And, um, and that those people are described, you know, as, as N-words. But there were people who occupied a real labor category, right? They were, they were black, they were, you know, African descended, their slavery was in perpetuity. It was me, it was my children, my children's children. And these were, these kinds of elements were in place for a long time for this category. What, what really happens when it emerges as the slur that we understand it to be is not when black people are enslaved, but when black people become free. And this is really important because it's, it's really an attack and assault on black liberty and black freedom. Not, not. Are you putting this around reconstruction after the emancipation? I'm actually talking, no, I'm talking about the 1820s and 30s because people were enslaved in the North in that period. And that's when the North was becoming free, particularly in New York, when gradual abolition, you know, comes to an end in New York state in 1827. So you're saying it became a slur as, as black people were becoming free uh, around the 1820s or so. So right. what exactly. was the context in which white, people, you know, were using it towards these free slaves, these, these recently freed slaves. Well, you know, so these, these liberated people, no longer slaves, right? Um, well, a, a, a big mechanism for its um, weaponization is uh, blackface, which I think is really important. And blackface is never far away from our conversations about the N-word. It is a type of verbal blackface. So blackface, for people who don't know, is this kind of performance where white actors go on the stage, they put black cork on their face, and they imitate at the time what they imagined black people to be, which was, you know, raggedy, enslaved, um, um, 
you know, um, kind of uh, self serve, not self serving, but serve servant e. Um, um, uh, speaking in dialect and always these characters would use the n-word. That's how you authenticated somebody's blackness, right? Um, is had the character, somebody use the, the, the n-word. And I believe and think the evidence pans out that's because black people were already using it together in a political way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your dad made a movie with Gene Wilder, yeah. uh, where Gene Wilder, can, can we bring up that graphic, Rashad? I know we're <laughs> gonna talk about it a little later, but I think this is the perfect time to talk about your dad and Gene Wilder in this movie where Gene is using blackface. And, and you know, we've seen so many uh, people who recently have been outed for, you know, dressing in blackface. People have lost their jobs. They've lost, you know, career opportunities. What do you think your dad, you know, would, would say about this movie uh, today if he were still alive and, and playing in this role with Gene Wilder in blackface? Oh gosh, you know, I, I do wish I could ask him because I have a lot of questions about it myself. It's sort of painful to watch that, um, those kinds of scenes. I mean, I think my father was always mocking, uh, you know, always a, uh, aware of that racial mockery. It was, it was just always in everything he did and everything he said and the, just the way that he viewed the world. Um, but I think that, you know, like some things have these, you know, multiple layers and come on registers, like that can just be, look like a funny scene of somebody doing blackface instead of a real commentary that it was meant to be um, on, on, you know, you know, as black people move through, how, how do black people move through space? How do white people move through space? Which is what it was supposed to be, but it's really just looks like a guy in blackface. So I, I, I don't know how I'd feel about it. I think he'd be disappointed, <laughs> honestly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I know your dad evolved. He, he took a trip to Kenya in, in the late 70s. Uh, and, you know, he was there in Africa. And again, I read about how amazed he was, you know, what he saw, the museums, the culture, you know, the, the richness of the people of Kenya. Uh, and it was after that trip that, that he had an epiphany of sorts uh, and he made a decision. Let, let's play a clip from what your dad said after he returned from Kenya. One thing I got out of it was magic I'd like to share with you, you know, it's like I was leaving and I was sitting in the hotel and a voice said to me, he said, look around, what do you see? And I said, I see all colors of people doing everything, you know, and the voice said, do you see any niggas? And I said, no. And I said, you know why? Because there aren't any. And it hit me. Like a shot, man, I started crying and shit. I was sitting there, I said, yeah, I've been here three weeks. I haven't even said it. I haven't even thought it. And it made me say, oh my God, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. I got to regroup my shit. I mean, I said, I ain't gonna never call another black man a nigga. How old were you, uh, <laughs> Professor Pryor, when your dad you know, did that performance. I think he's, that's like on Sunset in Los Angeles as yeah. a concert. How I, was, I was 15 at the performance, but I was 12 when he came back from the trip. And he said exactly to me what he says in an interview with Lerone Bennett Jr., the historian in Ebony Magazine, which is he was never going to use the word again. And he really, um, as far as I ever engaged with him and ever heard, he never did again. And it was really important to him that, you know, because he said, you know, this is a word of our own wretchedness. I mean, he really, go, he really kind of, he had this diasporic Afrocentric moment where going, going to, you know, for him, the motherland, which is how he would have perceived it, was um, changed his whole mind around something that was so true for him, yeah. something that was so easy for him. It's powerful. I love that. Yeah. And I know that you, uh, as a professional and as an individual person, uh, you've made the commitment to never use that word. Is right. it, were you impacted in, in that choice and that decision that you've made by your dad's uh, pronouncement in that video? I mean, I think, to be honest, I think every single one of us who has ever thought about how we're going to be using this word, especially black people, how we're going to be using this word in public space is impacted by that moment that my dad shared. Hmm. I, you teach now, you, you go around the country, you, you give TED Talks, you, you teach at Smith College, but you also help 
educators and students grapple with the use of this word. And I read something that you uh, quoted as saying that uh, when you teach this course about the N-word, you're terrified and the students are terrified. Right. Why is that? You know, I think the problem with the N-word is that it is a leaky word that reveals something about us that we don't want other people to know and maybe we don't even know about ourselves. And just by virtue of my being a biracial woman who uses the phrase, the N-word, in, in, I'm telling you something about myself, right? And so I think for my white students, my non-black POC students, they're afraid that they're going to, that their unconscious racism is gonna come out around these conversations that they'll end up revealing. And my black students likewise have that, but also, what happens to them over and over again are, am I gonna have to stand up? Am I gonna have to teach? Am I gonna have to assert myself? Do, you know? And so it becomes really a point of great anxiety in the classroom around this. And, and we really do have to create a consistent pedagogy that teaches values um, to people around this kind of language and the way that we interact with each other, I think. Yeah, we're in this moment, uh, Professor Pryor, where academics are, are really grappling with, we've seen uh, professors who've been uh, reprimanded by their deans for use of the word in classrooms. We've seen, you know, teachers who've been forced out of classrooms. We've seen yeah. books uh, that have been banned in classrooms. You know, Mark Twain's famous Huckleberry Finn, I think, uses the N-word 219 times. What's your perspective on whether a, a teacher, black or white, when teaching a, a lesson about, you know, African-American history, American history, should they be able to use the N-word, you know, without suffering and use the word in its entirety without, you know, consequences? I mean, I think that's the question's almost too simplistic because I think there's, if you're doing this kind of work, but you're not providing context for your students about how to engage it, we have a whole generation of people who have no idea what the history of this word means, um, how it impacts people or what to do with it how to engage with it um, intellectually. And they should, because it is part of the core cornerstone of the American history and American racial history. I mean, the N-word is central to who we are as Americans, it really is. And, and so the fact that a teacher would think of teaching that lesson without taking their students through all the deep and heavy lifting of what is behind that kind of language and the rest of the racial history of those works is, is deeply problematic. So I think, uh, for the most part, I don't think it's actually profoundly necessary, not when you're doing Mark Twain. It might be different if you're teaching hip hop, you know, something where black artists are asserting themselves. But if you're doing something like, you know, Mark Twain, I don't think it's, I, I do not think it's necessary to repeat the word. And I don't think it's necessary to repeat that book, but don't tell anybody I said so. <laughs> 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 we like we get revelations on the special report. So, okay, uh, that's a no vote for Huckleberry Finn. Okay, moving right along. You mentioned hip hop artists, uh, and we can't talk about the use of the N-word without talking about hip hop artists. And I opened the show with uh, Tupac and Most Def and, and others, you know, Jay-Z included, who have said the word has been reclaimed by African-Americans and that it is, uh, for some, now a, a term of endearment, that, that we can somehow have power over it because of the context in which it is used. Do, do you accept that uh, proposition, that argument? I mean, I think, I do think it's a really important part of, of Black subversion to use the N-word. I think it is a, a form of Black protest. I think it has been for centuries. It's not just like I said, in the 1770s and 80s, it's in, you know, um, slave, you know, slave uh, narratives. It's in the 1930s WPA slave narratives. It's in Zora Neale Hurston. It's uh, Dick Gregory, my dad. I mean, it's, this is not just an advent of hip hop, although it certainly proliferates because of hip hop. But I do think, like I say, said earlier, I really think it's important not to make this a question about should or shouldn't black artists, but really, how can we remove the, the, the structures that make it work for black artists? It, it's, it's saying something for black artists and that's because they're making a protest against something that really exists by using it. So I, that's to me where the focus would be. And I agree with you. Uh, and in the meantime, we have this word mm -hmm. and we have this, you know, this conflict over who gets to use it. 
Mm-hmm. So a lot of hip hop artists will say they can use it and it's exclusive to black folks. And when someone like Morgan Whalen is caught on video, you know, using the, the, the slur uh, in a drunken stupor, he says he was in, uh, you know, he faces some dire consequences and he's not the first celebrity to be in that position. We've seen it with Madonna. We've seen it with Paris Hilton. You know, it's kind of a long list of, of folks who have, have used that word. Do you think that that's the appropriate approach, that that white folks should be, uh, you know, uh, face consequences when they use the word. It should be banned, should be off limits. No, don't use it. Don't make a joke about it. Just don't say it. Whereas, you know, black hip hop artists, you know, get to make it, you know, say it 1,200 times in every song that they write. Well, first of all, they weren't using the same word. I mean, the, the word that he was using was not a word of empowerment. And because because of the blackface connection, I'm not really 100% sure white people ever can. But, um, you know, because I watched the TMZ video of that. And, um, you know, he's 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 like calling out a friend. He's teasing a friend. So he's using a disparaging word against against him. Um, I do think as a society that, you know, we're a reflection of our values. And so if, you know, if, if we actually value diversity and equity and um, multiple perspectives, then it makes sense that somebody would actually get reprimanded in the way that he has around the word because we have those certain kinds of values. And um, I, I, to me, it's too easy. I don't think all black people can use it. It should never come out of my mouth. I was raised, went to white schools. My mother's white. I, I, you know, my father used it. It's just not authentic to who I am. But I think if you're black and it's authentic to really who you are, I do think that you, you know, like I said, until those uh, factors and structures are, are eliminated, you know, it's all yours. And that white people really need to step back and ask themselves, why do I want to say it? Why do I want to say this word? Mm-hmm. And just the last question for you. I know your dad evolved, and you said after he uh, made that that you know video or that that performance that we just witnessed that you never heard him use that word again. Mm-hmm. Do you think you know, given where he was in, in the early stages of his career, where he you know was known for the use of that word, to where he ended up, you know, in some of his last performances, do you think he would have a different view? Uh, of the wor- word today, when you hear hip hop artists talk about, you know, taking control over the word, making it their own and, and reclaiming some power with the word. Do, do you think that's a position that he would agree with? I mean, you know, one of the things that I love about his statement is he's like, this is for me. This is where I've come to as an intellectual and as a person who's been to Africa. This is this is this is my story. This doesn't have to be everybody's story. So I don't think he'd be ever the preachy kind of black person to try to tell other black people what to say. But I think he would appreciate that black artists were asserting themselves in their own ways, even if it's not the choice he would he, he chose to make for himself anymore. So, so no judgment. What do you think your dad's greatest legacy is? Or, or what would you like for us to remember oh, most? Oh gosh, of? stop it. <laughs> He's such an iconic figure. I mean, I don't think we can even talk, have this conversation and for anyone that's too young, you know, they've got to go out and Google your dad and listen to some yeah. of his albums because he wasn't a civil rights leader in the traditional sense, yeah. but he was such a civil rights leader. Yeah. You know, that's the that's the irony here. You know, he, he wasn't Dr. King, but but he spoke so to, you know, the, the conditions of, of black folks. And, you know, in Peoria, Illinois, you know, where, where my family is from, oh, um, uh-huh. my aunts and uh, uncles knew him and knew the family. So I know personally what that experience was like. So I just think it's such an amazing history that people should go in and educate them. So it's a big question, I know. Give me like your 10 second response. (laughs) I mean, I I think my father was a powerful storyteller and told honest, real stories about black people without shame and, you know, without respectability politics and just really was able to kind of, and be flawed and, and, and tell those kinds of complicated, flawed, real stories. I mean, there's, uh, to me, there hasn't been like a realer black character than the one that my dad developed of himself, you know, in Hollywood. So I think he, he's groundbreaking in so many ways with that one. Well, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much, Professor Pryor, for lending your voice uh, and helping us understand this really big, complicated subject. I appreciate the work that you're doing uh, and my best of luck to you again. Thanks for sitting down with me this morning. It was a delight. Thank you so much. Great. Okay.
We're going to continue talking about this complicated N-word, but before we bring on our next guest, a little Black History Month trivia for you. Now, see who gets this right. Who is considered the first legit rapper in the music game? Was it the Sugar Hill Gang, Gil Scott Heron, or Curtis Blow? Go ahead, start posting your responses, and a little later in the show, we're going to get the answer to that question. You'll get to test your history and your knowledge of Black history. Now, my next guest is Aaliyah Luck. She is an author and culture critic. Aaliyah wrote an article uh, for The Daily Dot, which went viral. It's entitled, How to Use the N-Word. Good morning and welcome to the show, Aaliyah. Hi there, thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. So Aaliyah, in your article, you make a, a pretty compelling ar uh, argument about uh, this linguistic and practical way that we should use and think about the N-word. So just you know, briefly tell us, what, what's your, your position about the use of the word? I think that the argument is often oversimplified. There are so many nuances um, in just human interaction in general that people aren't aware of because they're so underlying. Um, and so the article seeks to point that out, that it's not just like black and white. It, it, even in the black community, it depends on who you're speaking to. It depends on their experience with the word and their associations. Um, that they've made with the word over time. So you heard Dr. Pryor, she, she made this distinction between, you know, someone's authentic experiences uh, and said as a biracial woman, as a, a person who grew up with a white mother and a black father, she would never use the word. For, for you, how do you define, you know, who's that authentic person or who's had those authentic experiences that give them license to use the word? Well, for one, Black people, people who have been impacted by the word, but I think it also comes down to people who um, have been raised in a culture where that meaning is what's associated. Um, I grew up um, in a culture where the word was stigmatized. I did have friends who used it, um, but at home, you know, curse words in general <laughs> were, not, um, were not accepted. So I understand her perspective and it's, it's kind of the same for me. I rarely use the word just because it's like, it's not, it doesn't have that same meaning for me, but I wouldn't say that people cannot or should not use it just because it doesn't have that association for me. What do you say to those folks who say, you know, black folks are, are hypocrites, that, that we have this hypocritical position about the use of the words that, you know, we can say it, but if you're white, if you're Latinx, if you're anything other than black, you can't say the word. How do you respond to those arguments? When we talk about the use of slurs and pejoratives in a multicultural society, we really have to acknowledge that there will often be a movement for what is called linguistic reclamation. And it's essentially when a specific group that's been targeted by a word or a phrase seeks to shift its meaning and essentially reclaim the term that has been weaponized against them by the outgroup. It can be a form of protest, as um, Dr. Pryor said, um, that challenges the stigmas and narratives surrounding our identities um, by reappropriating the language we use to refer to ourselves within our in-group. So we've seen this um, with the exceedingly common use of the term queer in the LGBTQ community, which directly confronts society's standards of heteronormativity. And we've also seen this with the use of the word slut within various feminist movements, um, for example, the slut walk, where women will proudly and openly refer to themselves and each other as, as sluts to challenge society's notions that women should be ashamed of their sexuality or um, shouldn't be sexually liberated. But people in an outgroup can't reclaim a word that's not targeted towards them because it will never hold the same meaning. Men could not reclaim the word slut because of their associated history with weaponizing it against women. So these outgroups are really at will of the demands of the in-group when it comes to reclamation. And the use of the N-word by Black people um, will always hold a different meaning um, than when it's used by people in the outgroup. So like uh, Dr. Pryor said, it's a completely different word um, when used by the outgroup versus the in-group. I hear you, but we know even within the African-American community, there's not consensus around that way of approaching the word. So let's think of, you know, we think historically we're in Black History Month. So W.E.B. Du Bois wrote The Soul of Black Folks. 
he didn't write, you know, the souls of the N-word. Yes. Uh, Marcus Garvey didn't form an organization with the N-word in the title. You know, Malcolm yes. X in his seminal speech, a ballot or the bullet didn't address the crowd using the N-word. Yeah. Uh, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer said, stand up, black men. America needs you. Again, not using the N-word. And I think, you know, we don't hear folks using the N-word around their mother, yeah. uh, using it with folks that they love. Uh, and, you know, so what do you say to those folks? Lawrence Hill, uh, Hill who's a best-selling author of the book, uh, The Book of Negroes, also makes that point. And, you know, suggest maybe that that's a, uh, you know, a disingenuous argument. So what do you say to that? How we speak to different people will, we will never speak to two, two people the same way ever. Um, we may have similarities in discourse, but um, ultimately the way that we communicate with others and interact with others is contingent on the respect that we have for them. Um, it's also contingent on how we predict their will respond. And language and communication is a constant string of decisions that we're making based on the context that we're in. It depends on where you are, uh, who you're speaking to, who you are in relation to the people that you're speaking to, and what you're speaking about, like the nature of the conversation. So for these leaders, um, the way that they address the public, even if they say the word, you know, in private, they wouldn't say address all black people using the, um, the N word because they don't know the uh, implications that their audience has with it. So yeah, I think- I, I yeah. hear you on that, Aaliyah, but we also have seen people who've gotten into trouble by using the word in private, uh, who, who thought they were in private, but you know, they were caught on a, a, you know, a open mic. We saw that with Jesse Jackson, caught on an open mic using the N-word. I want to bring into the conversation entrepreneur and artist Midas uh, and Long Beach, California resident Ian Bruce to get their take on the use of the N-word. Both of you, good morning, first of all, Ian uh, and Midas, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Uh, you both are from Long Beach, and Long Beach, as we know, is described as, as the staple in the hip-hop community. It's the home of Snoop Dogg, Warren G, Nate Dogg. Uh, and all three of these artists, including lots of others from, you know, Compton, Long Beach, you know, East Coast rappers, West Coast rappers, uh, use the, the N-word throughout their music. Uh, so let me start with you, Midas. You know, are, are, is there any reason that we should expect hip hop artists not to use the word? Um, well, first, let me say thank you for having me on the show. I think um, Dr. Pryor was very interesting because she, she um, notated and brought up some points that I really wasn't, I didn't think about. That was a different perspective. So me and myself, um, being, being from Long Beach, we're very eclectic, multi, multi, multi-racist. And, um, and I've been saying the N-word, to be honest with you, before I can remember because my mom was the, actually the first one that I heard it around. What Dr. Pryor was saying, which, which kind of um, resonated with me, was that back then, um, Richard Pryor was my mom's rapper, right? So I learned about him before I learned about um, a, a lot of other people that were in the civil rights movement. And so, and so he, he became dear to us because he was able to say the N-word um, because he wasn't afraid to use that when other comedians weren't able to use that. And so I was like, okay, he's one of us. I'm not saying that's why I used it because, you know, to make myself a part of the community is just a word that I grew up saying. It wasn't until I got a lot older and moved away from Long Beach that I understand that people don't really use the word as much as we used it. I grew up with Cambodians, Filipinos, um, um, Samoans, Tongans, I mean, this is just a word that we use. So for me, I've been using it forever. It's just kind of weird to hear the perspective. Uh, Ian, I'll ask you, you grew up in Long Beach in, in this multicultural community that uh, Midas just uh, described. Were your Filipino friends, your Samoan friends, were they allowed to use the N-word as you were growing up with, you know, when you all were together? Uh, some were, um, and I would say that, that they were um, excused or given a pass because it was almost like they were a part of our fraternity. You know what I mean? Like they, um, they, they understood our history, our background. We knew that they loved us. So we knew that um, their intentions were good. And um, to me, everything is about an intention and, and energy. Words are not the actual supreme form of communication. Intention and energy is um, just like the, the MF word. You know what I mean? The MF word is, if you look at it objectively, is disgusting. It's referring to incest. incest. But if uh, 
um, you know, I hear a song that I like and I'm with my friend and I say, hey, man, this MF or go crazy. You know, he knows that, uh, you know, first of all, a song can't be a, a MF or, you know, it's not a physical uh, thing or a tangible object and it can't be crazy. But based on my energy and my intention, you know, he knows that I'm I mean that I really like this song. Um, and so, to, again, to me, it's all about uh, energy and intention. If you, um, you know, if you've shared certain experiences with us, if you love us, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? If, if you have our backs in certain, um, in certain situations, there's a chance that, you know, we may not be offended uh, when, you, when you address us in a certain way, because again, we feel like you belong to our fraternity in a sense. Ian, I hear you, but, but let me ask you this, Aaliyah, MF, and let's, you know, we can say slut, whole bitch, any of those words, none of them have the baggage of slavery, of, of that period in American history where African-Americans were subjugated to white slave owners. So I don't know if we can, you know, legitimately or, or, or genuinely put the word MF, as, as horrible as it is, in the same category as a racial epithet that, that has such history in this country. What do you say to that, uh, Aaliyah? I think that when it comes to um, giving others permission to use the word, we have to understand that Black people are not a monolith. We'll all have differing opinions and experiences, so we can't give someone permission to claim or appropriate a part of a culture just because we're in the in-group it belongs to. With your friends, if your friends are non-Black, you know, you may be okay with that, but I think that when you're giving someone permission to use a word like that around you, yes, you know, there's a, a shift in meaning because of the associations you've made with it and the way that you've, you've been using it and you've used it culturally. But you have to also educate them on the perceptions of other Black people. And it can't just be like a, a token or a green card to use it in all spaces and in, in, in mixed company. Yeah, I want to bring into the conversation now Professor Omikongo Dabinga. He is a professor of cross-cultural communications at American University, and he's also a rapper. <laughs> he's been on the show before. I always turn to him on these topics of, of race and hip-hop culture because he is an expert. Good morning and welcome, uh, Professor Dabinga. Good morning. Uh, you heard Ian say that in his multicultural group growing up in Long Beach, and even to this day, there are people outside of the Black community that if he understands their intentions, that they love him, that they are allies, that it's okay. But who gets to make that determination? Who, who gets to give, you know, one group of person or one individual a pass? Or, well, or is the way, that even the way we should be thinking about this? I, I don't think that is the way that we should be thinking about it because that intentions don't equal a knowledge of history. And one of the challenges that I have as an MC is when I deal with other rappers who might be younger than me and people believe that these black rappers can give them a pass, oftentimes these rappers don't know the history of the word themselves. So in some instances, it's like the blind leading the blind. And so if people feel like they get a pass from their friend and they think that that gives them uh, uh, permission in some way, shape or form, then that has dire consequences for the rest of us. And speaking to what Midas was talking about growing up with uh, this international friendships that he had, we also have to make, uh, we have to think deeply about the global implications of this word. Because I've been in countries like Senegal and other French speaking countries where they don't even speak English, but until they, once they hear my accent, it's like, oh, what's up my, and then they throw it out there. Their intention is to be cool, but does that make sense for people to be getting off the airport in places like Japan dressed in a business suit and people see them and say, what's up, my N-word? I think that that's very problematic. And, and furthermore, when we have this conversation about hip hop, I think we can all be honest here in saying that the majority of the times that we use the term N-word in hip hop, the majority of the times it's negative. So this whole conversation about we're using it as a term of endearment or empowerment, lyrically, is factually inaccurate. Okay, and we're going to talk about that because Jay-Z and, and other uh, rappers have taken that position that they've taken the sting out of the word, they've reclaimed it. What do you say to that, Midas? Because uh, Professor uh, Dabinga says that's BS, that by saying it, we, we haven't. Uh, destigmatize it, that it still carries that, that history of, of being a, a racial epithet that's been used against us, and now we're using it against each other. I respect what Doctor is saying, and I think we're assuming, though, 
that the two words are the same. And I think we shouldn't do that. Um, those are two separate words, right? So you're One talking word, ER versus A, right? I disagree with that, but I'm so sorry. That's fine, that's fine. But I, I'm we're from my perspective is that are two different words. The word that was meant to, um, um, the word that was meant to kind of um, harm us was the ER word. And since then, our people, our my grandmother's grandmother took a word and, and, and made it something of endearment. And I just believe those are two separate words. When I hear the ER, my, my ears automatically perk up because I, I, I know that's meant as a form of disrespect. I think, I, I, and I think white people, to be honest with you, I think they want to use the word because the, um, the, um, the word without the ER, they want to use it because that's the word that we use and they want to be cool. I think they can't say it. Once we put it in the music, that I agree with Doc. Once we put it in the music, then it's free game. Because, because, because to be honest with you, white people are the consumers of the music. So, so, so if, if we're putting it out there and we're not the only ones rapping it, they're rapping it word for word for word. So when we hear it, you know, and I'm saying this as a catch 22, because I use the word too. So I have to expect when it comes back, I have to have a different type of reaction to it. I haven't got to that point yet. I'm not that mature, but I, but I, but I do understand, you know, the, the, um, that, that they want to use the word. When you go to a concert and it's 20,000 people to see Kendrick Lamar and, 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 and they're rapping this word over and over, they're not pausing at the word, they're not pausing at the A, you know, that's their form of being a part of everything. So they're able to say it though. Um, no, you, you raise a good point, uh, Midas. Let's take a look at the video that sparked this entire conversation. This country singer, Morgan Whalen. Uh, let's take a look at what he says. It's a little fuzzy, but what we do know is that he used the word, and let's presume he used the ER version of the word. He was yeah, using he it as a racial slur, uh, and he has suffered some consequences. Uh, you know, he had contracts that were canceled, music taken off the air, but... He also had fans that came to his rescue and who wanted to make sure that his his uh, record remained at the top of the billboard charts. So what are we to make of Waylon, who uh, has suffered some consequences, uh, but yet fans? What, what about his fans that are saying, this is OK, let's keep buying his music? I think we have to keep an open line of communication, though. And I think I think once we shut down and we don't and we're not talking to other races and other people about how the word affects us, where it comes from, like Doctor was saying. Um, 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 the actual meaning, like Doctor Pryor was saying, way before anything else, way before it got to rap and way before it got to music, there's been hundreds and hundreds of years of those words, though. And so to act like people aren't saying it, I think we have to be smarter than that and have these conversations. But, to go but you're saying that might is that once it's out in the vernacular, once it's in the culture that we should expect white people to use it too. So Ian, do you think it was a mistake for, for Waylon to be dropped from his contract and for his music to be taken off the air? If you follow Midas's argument, then, you know, what, what's the big deal? Um, I'm so, so I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of, of telling people uh, what they can and can't say, but I do think they need to use discretion. Um, I think black people should, um, you know, in, in, instead, in, I think if black people don't like how someone is behaving or words that they use, um, you know, or the way that they move, they should just not mess with that person. They shouldn't buy their music. They shouldn't purchase their product. Um, I, I don't want people telling me what to do. I don't want people telling me what I do can and can't say. Okay, Ian, I want to know, do you think the, the, the companies that drop Morgan Whalen's music, should they have done that because of his use of the word? Um, personally, no. But I believe if you're, if you're a fan of music um, and you don't like that particular artist because of their values or how they behave, then just don't purchase their music. Um, but I, I don't believe that. In on this. Aaliyah, do you think that it was the right decision for the companies that dropped Morgan Whalen to do so? I do, honestly. I think that it's a reflection of your company when you permit certain things. So if they were to completely ignore it, they're in a way endorsing his behavior. So I do think that it was the right thing to do because as he said in his own apology, there was no excuse for his, his actions. Um, it's 
there's no situation or circumstance that made it okay. And he took um, accountability for that. And he said that he's going to face the consequences and reasonably so. I also disagree that um, once we allow um, artists to use the N-word in their music, then it's okay for everyone else. Because as I said before, it's not the same meaning. If a candle maker walks into a shop and asks for a lighter, you know, you're not going to think anything of it. But if a known arsonist walks into a shop and asks for a lighter, it, you know, there's a completely different meaning to that. And it's the same thing with the N-word when it's used by the in-group and versus the out-group. So um, I think that his use wasn't justified because other artists are using it. Um, and I think that, you know, he's facing the consequences of his actions and rightfully so. Dr. Dabinga, you reject this in-group, out-of-group argument. Yes, I, 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 I reject it. Consequences, and you would say rap artists that use the word should face similar consequences. I feel I don't believe in the in-group. I, I, I understand it, but I believe at the end of the day, if the root of the word is negative, whatever you, whatever way you try to morph it, it's always going to be negative. We wouldn't have the, the N-word with the A at the end if we didn't have the N-word with the E-R at the end. So the roots are the same. And so when we hear, and like I said, when we hear it in hip hop, the majority of the time it's used with the A, it's also negative. So, and going to the conversation about once we put it out there, KRS-One said that Mikey speak through goes from here to Mogadishu and how you represent us is the issue. So I, I respect what uh, what Aliyah is saying about just because it's used on the airwaves doesn't give people permission, but who's educating the people who are listening on the airwaves? Mm -hmm. I've been in South Africa having this argument with people who think they can use the word, no one's teaching them. And so I believe that the English language is beautiful enough that we as MCs are smart enough that we can use other language. And I'm talking about all types of words, whether they're talking about N word, F words, B words. I don't believe in that in group if the root of the term is negativity. And I don't believe you can reclaim a word that you did not create. I, I see your, 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 your books there in the back of you. I, I can't go and reclaim them. I can only steal them. And that means that they were not originally mine. We need to come up with new words, use better words, and we're smart enough to do that and teach the world how to do it just through our music alone. How did you Titus, get you're a rapper. You use the word regularly, you said in your music. Would you be willing to reconsider the use of the word based on, you know, your education, reflection? Uh, you know, is there a point where you can imagine rapping without the word? Yeah, absolutely. And I do. It's not an every song thing. And I don't think as, a, as an artist, though, I should have to watch my um, watch my pen, watch my paper every second to make sure that I'm that I'm. Um, that I'm um, giving comfort to the audience. That's not the point of me being an artist. If not, I wouldn't put music out. I, I did want to ask Doc because when he brought up, he said that the word is used most of the time negatively. How do you how do you figure that? Where do you get that from? Yeah. Well, when I hear people in songs talking about I, I'm gonna shoot up these n words, I'm gonna kill these n words and their kids, like Biggie talking about going into people's funerals and doing that. I mean, Tupac said the term means you know never ignorant, getting goals accomplished. But if you listen to most of his albums, that term is used in a you know pejorative sense. And so the majority of hip hop that I've heard, I've heard people say I put my N words on and stuff like that. But the majority of the time it's used to talk about things in a violent nature that is disrespectful to the community. And so I feel like we can use better terms. And I understand what you're saying about we don't, it's not our job to really watch our pen, but I think that we do because in lieu of watching our pen, we're actually informing other people that it's okay to use this word. And so for example, real quick example, I took a bunch of kids from the hood where I grew up in Roxbury, Massachusetts to South Africa. They had never been off the hood. They had white friends and everything. No problem using the N word. We got into an altercation with some white people in South Africa who started calling them the word. And they said that was the first time I ever experienced that type of hostility. And now that I've learned, I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna use that word anymore. The problem that I have is, you know, people like you and me, Midas, like we're educated, we can have this conversation, which I really love. But I think we both know that unfortunately, the mainstream media, they pull these rappers out there who know nothing about the history or the use and just say it's all good as long as they buy in my music. And so again, it's the blind leading the blind with people who aren't educated enough or knowledgeable enough to have this real conversation about a word that we really don't need in our music at all, which is why I've never used it on any of my albums. 
I know I just I just worry because it's such a blanketed term when you use these rappers and the rappers I listen to don't use it in that way. Myself so as well. Yeah, so give, give us some examples. Of, let me talk, ask you, give us some examples of rappers that you know who use the N word, the A version that Midas is talking about in a way differently than what uh, Professor uh, uh, Dabinga has described. I wouldn't even say specifically rappers, but artists in general, R&B artists as well, use the N-word. And it's it's not, I think that you're equating the content of the song and, and prescribing the meaning of the song and the nature of the song to the word. In these senses that you're, uh, you're giving examples of, the N-word is just a way to, um, to express or a replacement for um, man or person, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not used to insult them. It's just a replacement. You will go on Twitter and you'll see people using the N word um, as a blanket statement for people. It's a replacement for the word people for um, an individual. Um, but there are many songs where it's like they're love songs and they'll talk about their, um, their partners um, in reference using the N word. So it's it depends on the music you listen to. Maybe the songs that you've heard or the you know the hip hop music that you've listened to well, is, okay. is negative. Uh, Leah, I, I think both of you are right, and I, and I think we have to be real clear. Now we're, we're not going to sit here and dishonestly say that rap songs aren't using the the n word in a pejorative way. Come on, we, we got to be honest. I won't say completely, but I wouldn't say no, that no, all no, no, rap no, it's music. Not all. Not so what I said was the majority of the hip hop that I've listened to, and I, and I was very clear about that. But I would also add to the fact that even outside of our conversation right here, I teach at American University that I've been teaching there for six years. The majority of my students, overwhelming majority are white. And mm -hmm. when I ask them, they love hip hop. And I ask them, survey every semester without fail. Do the majority of the times you hear it in the words, is it used positively or pejoratively? The answer is always negatively overwhelmingly so that's all and they're listening to a new generation of hip-hop guys that i don't even know about so even this and i'm talking hundreds of students over the years so even if we may have different opinions based on the music we listen to i'm talking about the mainstream production and how it's being consumed this is what the hundreds of students i've been teaching for years are saying to me yeah and i think the problem we have is that i agree Aaliyah and midas if people come to the word with an understanding of the history but how many people understand anything about history or know anything about history? And we're talking about a really small percentage of people, whether they're black, white, you know, yellow or green. So I think what makes people so uncomfortable about the word is that when you are hearing young white consumers of hip hop repeat the word, and then we try to tell them that they shouldn't use the word, that the, the retort is always, but why? You guys use it, you use it. And getting folks to understand that history of, reclamation if you if you agree that that's even possible how are we going to educate all these young white consumers of hip-hop that that it's okay for kendrick to talk about the word or to use the word or for midas to use the word because they see it as a word of empowerment differently than when white folks out of the reconstructionist south use the word i don't know if we can educate folks enough people quickly enough in a way that would ever cause us to be comfortable um, as I was saying before, you know, the language we use depends on who we're talking to as well. And I think in hip hop, generally, when rappers are putting out music, their target audiences aren't young white people. You know, it's black, young black people, black people in the community, well, black people who understand their Midas, struggle. Midas, who buys most of the hip hop, young white folks or, or young black people? Young white folks. Okay, so I think the the money people, the dollar people, the people that write the checks in hip hop are very clearly aware of who the demographics are. So I, I don't that know. that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, white right. people are the target, though. Right, right, absolutely. Just because white people are consumers, that doesn't mean that they're, they're the target. So I think that's an mm -hmm. incorrect uh, analysis of what she's saying. So your position is because rappers are targeting other African-Americans, that they're speaking to them in a way that they expect them to understand. But, but what about this history? Dr. Dabinga says he's taught, you know, hundreds and hundreds of students 
and they say whether it's intended for them or not, it's the way they perceive it. So you may have the intentionality, maybe what you're talking about, Ali, it may be there. Yeah. But if you're the receivers on the other end, whether they're black or white consumers, if they yeah. don't understand that framework, are we missing out on something? Um, I completely agree that people should be educated on the history. That's the reason I wrote that entire article, you know. Um, but I think a lot of people are aware of the history. I think that a lot of people also, when they're caught using the word or when they're told they can't use the word, they feign this like ignorance, like, oh, I didn't know. Or they'll still challenge it and say, well, if you can use it, why can't I? And it's that whole in-group, out-group. The rappers who are who are making music about their struggle, they don't expect these like young, you know, rich white kids to understand that. So when they're using the N-word, it's the in-group meaning. I know that, you know, some of you don't agree with reclamation, even though there's, you know, studies that show and, and, and evidence that show that it's a common trend within, um, you know, different uh, discriminated communities using different slurs, but um, the meaning is different. With that. We don't disagree with that, Aaliyah, I, I guess though, but it seems like we're cutting it really, the nuance here is, I think is what has me hung up because you said you don't use the word, but you have the same history, whether it, it's your first generation, second generation, but somebody in your family probably was a slave. So yeah. you have as much of a right to claim that, that you come from that uh, oppressed group as I do, as everyone yeah. else on this call does. So why can't you use it freely? I can use it. I just decide not to because I understand that some people are not comfortable with it. If I was with a group of friends and, and common, um, frequently among a group of friends who use it regularly, I probably would, um, you know, use it more often, but I just am not in that environment. And, and let me ask you, Dr. Uh, Dabinga, Ta-Nehisi Coates, who we all have a great deal of respect for, brilliant writer, he argues that uh, in the context of hip-hop, whites should never use the word, uh, but he says that blacks should be able to use it because it's one opportunity where we get to do something that whites don't get to do, and they should have this experience to, to go through life the way we have to go through life with things that they cannot do. So when you have someone like Mr. Coates, who, who's so well-respected and obviously has such a you know, keen sense of awareness around our history and the race uh, issue, uh, says he's fine with the word. And of course, I definitely have a lot of respect for, for Mr. Colts and his work. I just feel like we can create other types of experiences that are just our own. We can put on music celebrating things, you know, relating to our hair or our skin tones and so on and so forth. We don't have to take a word that was given to us from white people and use that as saying something, this is something you can't use. As far as I'm concerned, the term is originally theirs. And so when people may compare it to other terms like MF and things like that, you know, it wasn't like on housing deeds that you can't sell this house to an MFR or an MFR can't live in this community. It, it was black people and often the times that N-word was used. So I believe that black people are intelligent enough and creative enough to create other experiences that white people are not in, that are not able to engage in, engage in that don't involve using a word of such a, a negative history. And I do understand that reclamation culture is real. I just don't believe in that in the idea of, as a motivational speaker myself, I believe, again, if the root of the word is negative, it can never be anything else but that. And we got other words. We got brother, sister, hockey, you know, all other types of things that we can use. There's no one thing that attaches us to that word more so than our history with slavery in the United States. And uh, can, I, can I respond to that? Because I noticed he brought up my example of of, of uh, MFR. And um, I just like to say the reason why I use that example um, is because um, ultimately we're, we're discussing whether or not it's, um, it's okay to use the word. And um, I'm just following my convictions. I personally do not like to be um, controlled by um, somebody's use of language. So um, I had to change my perspective and my understanding of it. And ultimately, we are talking about energy and intentions. That's why I use the the MF, for example, of course, it's not, you, of course, it's not comparable to the N word. But, but why won't any of us rappers then use the K word on the albums then? 
right? The, and the you know, we know that the albums will be pulled. We know that if we got, you know, label representation. And so I understand about the What's individual. Well, you have to use discretion. You have to know where you are. Like, What's the K word? I'm talking the Jewish slur. You know that? That's oh, okay. Got people, it. Right? That's what I'm talking about. Like, we know not to use that. We saw what Michael happened with Michael Jackson, and they don't care about us. And how it got pulled off the shelves. Right. And so my thing is, like, I understand about personal freedom, but as artists who are speaking to the world, whether we're artists, rappers, host shows, we're writers, columnists, I believe that there's a greater level of responsibility that we have that the average person who isn't involved in speaking to the world just doesn't have. And I think that we need to take that a little bit. We need to look at that a little more heavily, given how popular this particular word is. And we know we're not going to use other words on our songs because we don't want our careers to end. Well, I don't right, right. we're we're so, using discretion. Guys, guys, my producer's telling me we're out of time. Oh, this man. is a great big complicated subject, and we are just getting into it. So that means I got to have all of you back because we got to have this <laughs> conversation. But before I let you go, uh, I asked a question. My Black History Month trivia question was: Who was the first legit rapper? Uh, and so I'm gonna ask you. All of you are very familiar with hip hop culture. Was it the Sugar Hill Gang? Was it Curtis Blow or was it Gil Scott Heron? Gil Scott Heron. Gil Scott. Gil Scott. All oh, right. Thanks, God. All right. <laughs> my producer, everybody. We had this big debate. So my production team, you know, we played a little Gil Scott, which is the correct answer. He's considered uh, the first legit rapper. His song, recorded poem, uh, 1971, called The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Uh, they listened to a little of it and said, oh, that's a poem. That's not a rap song. So they, they still wanted to claim that it was, uh, you know, the Sugar Hill Gang. But you guys are all obviously well steeped in your black history and your black rap culture. So you got that one right. Thank you so much. What an interesting conversation. We don't all have to agree, but I, I think it's, you know, just amazing that we're having this conversation. And the only way we're going to get to uh, any place of, I, I think, you know, understanding the roots of this word is by having these really uh, sometimes complicated, big, messy conversations. So thank you so much for joining me this morning. And thanks for everything that each and every one of you are doing to shed light on this really complex subject. Thank you for All having right. me. All uh, right. Always on the special report. We are always in for it. We are here for the difficult topics. Uh, we love it on the special report. And obviously talking about the N-word, there could not be a more complicated and complex subject matter. I want to thank all of my guests for joining me this morning. Thanks to you uh, who also joined. Uh, you know, post your comments, your questions. We're going to keep having this conversation. Obviously, one hour is not enough time to talk about the use of the N-word. Uh, before I get out some words to live by, it's complicated. Yes, use of the N-word by African-Americans is just that, complicated. You may be scratching your head saying, how can African-Americans use a word that has been described as the atomic bomb of racial slurs particularly given its derogatory use by murderous slave owners, racist whites throughout the Jim Crow South, and even white supremacists during the era of Donald Trump. Black Capitol Police said that they were called the N-word repeatedly during the January 6th insurrection. In vaudeville, it became common for African-Americans to actually wear blackface as ironic parody of the racist minstrel acts of the day. And this was a way that Blacks could react to racism in a non-confrontational manner and a more acceptable manner. Likewise, modern-day hip-hop artists, comics, and critics say, like the Blacks who donned Blackface in the 19th century, saying the word, the N-word, uh, is a way that modern-day folks are confronting its racist origins. They're denuclearizing it. They're, they're exercising control over it. And ultimately, in the words of J.C., Jay-Z, they're flipping the word and they're using it as a word of empowerment. Now, Jay-Z's not naive. He recognizes that a lot of people, and you saw Dr. Dabinga, will disagree. Uh, and for some, that word will always be associated with death, pain, and unthinkable suffering at the hands of the white power structure. Again, it's complicated. And whether you agree with Jay-Z or not, you can no longer feign ignorance about why black folks have such a visceral reaction when whites use the word. And yet, African-Americans continue to use it amongst friends and in the culture. Remember, it's complicated. And in the words of the infamous Notorious B.I.G., if you don't know, now you know.
So white folks, govern yourselves accordingly. And black folks, don't forget, words have power. I'm out, y'all. Don't forget to wear your mask. Be safe out there. And don't forget, we're all in this together. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.